Saturday, 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 December 21st, E1 Live at the Hideout in Chicago. Featuring Chapo Trap House Funny Man, Felix Peterman. Gather around that gay old pole, dance your feet to and fro. When the flag goes up, so do bottoms. The beer is cold as a Harvard autumn. Tickets available on the internet if you Google it. Saturday, December 21st at the Hideout. The following is an archived podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled Forever Young Adults, an Exploration of YA Literature and Culture. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to episode one. Greetings, uh, you dreamers, you readers, you future leaders of the world. You're woke, you're beautiful, and you are strong. You deserve to be happy. Hello. Welcome to Forever Young Adults, an exploration of YA literature and culture. Regardless of your age, we are all joined together by a passion for what I think is the purest form of writing. The warmth, the hope, and the resilience that is embodied in your just average day-to-day teenager. My name is Betsy Lavender. I'm a writer of YA literature, and I am joined here by two of my very dear friends who are also writers, uh, C.A. Walker and Quince Drumheller. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, hello, Betsy. Great to be here. Thank you for having us on, Betsy. This is a tremendous achievement. Oh, thank you so much. It, I, I, I'm quite proud of the production we are putting here today. Um, I do think, you know, especially nowadays, even more than ever, it is really important to just have kind of a voice, you know, I wouldn't say justifying because we have nothing to prove, but really advocating for YA culture in a culture that is more and more seeming to disvalue our work in ways that I find minimizing, sexist, and well, we can get into all that later. Uh, I want to talk about how great it is, and I, I brought to you two because you guys are so talented that um, I thought that you'd be a good representation for us to put out there, and a good face on YA literature in general. So thank you so much for coming. I'm, I, it's my pleasure to have you guys. I know it is. <laughs> well, let's start with you, Quince. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, your start into writing, what you've written, and we'll, we'll round it out. Well, I didn't really start writing until after college. You know, I went to Brown for a number of years um, to get my bachelor's in um, what uh, you'd think literature, but it was actually um, economics is what I was pursuing oh, wow. at the time. Yeah. And um, I would, um, you know, say that I wasn't always you know, big on books. Um, I was more into videotapes growing up. Like like VHSs or? Sure. And I, um, you know, I really got into writing when I read. Um, I was in the library one time and I came across a book that really struck me and I thought, well, maybe I could write books. And, um, I well the the book was one of the Captain Underpants books you know a little bit lower 
uh, age than what I write for now. But I thought, you know, if, if I could be um, affected by something like this, then maybe um, I could write something like this and maybe with a little bit more of a serious tone. And I haven't actually had anything published until last year well, when yes. I wrote my first book. And that was the Hemlock. It's a wonderful series. Days um, of Hemlock. Yeah, part one in the Demon Cycle. Wonderful book. Um, really topped the charts with it. It was, it was one of the most impressive debuts I've ever seen. Thank you. And um, for those who don't know, Hemlock is about a... Um, well, Days of Hemlock, I'm sorry. I call it Hemlock for sure. All the fans, all the Hemlockies call it that. Um, right. Lockheads, they call themselves. Right. And it follows the um, the life of Silas Hedgemage. Uh, <laughs> Silas Hedgemaze, who is a junior in high school, who mostly keeps to himself, you know, only socializing with his close friends. Right. And he's always kind of felt like an outsider, you know, where's my place in the world? Right. I'm not like everyone else. There's something different about me. I right. wish I, I could be normal. Right. And he, you know, so when his parents divorced... Um, which is the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, he, well, he's a character. Right. But, but it's you based know. on people who really do have parents who get divorced. Right. And so he came to Hemlock to live with his father while his mother traveled doing what? He never knew. She was always very secretive about it. Oh, my. And Silas's father, he was an archaeologist who was a professor at Hemlock University, which is in the town of Hemlock. And even though he's always felt he was different, Silas will soon discover something inside him he never even thought was possible. Which is? Well, you got to read the book you to find read out. The book. I mean, well, I, I actually, you know, I'm, you know, I'm teasing, of course, but um, there's a lot of stuff uh, in it that I don't want to spoil. But I right. brought some excerpts. And, well, we uh, can we we can get into those in a minute, a little bit. Um, you know, his, term- he, like he has like his best friend Kramer Sockwood, who's kind of the you know a little bit humorous, kind of a kind of a little bit of a you know kind of a, a goofball, an airhead, yeah, goofball. Yeah. But he's as loyal as they come. Right. And then there's of course his crush, Sable Wellington, Oof. jet black hair, green eyes like emeralds, and she's the daughter <laughs> of the owner of the town. Oh, owns the whole town. <laughs> and she's, you know, she's the leader of all these school clubs. She, you know, she's got straight A's. So her dad can't exactly be mad at her, but she's constantly rebelling against his wishes. You know, she's kind of like a little activist. And I love that about her character. Not oh, to yes. mention, she's gorgeous. Right. And how old is she? She's 16. Oh, okay. All right. Well, great character, wonderful series. Uh, turning my attention now. Well, it's not to, a series yet. It's an, it's, it's an ongoing series. I just had the well, one you've, book. Well, you've written. already what you and Penguin already have a deal for what six more books? Yes, I've only had the one come out. I'm working on the other one. I only have about 150 words written. Um, well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, it's been like half a year. I've taken to write that, and uh, they're really getting on me. But you know, you know, you can't rush good art. I've got to say, Quince, I've been hearing some Hollywood buzz around that first one. I mean, it was a very a precocious debut from a new writer. Well, you know, there's the Netflix deals that, you know, fingers crossed is coming through. It's going to help a lot of the YA writers in the community really, you know, monetize further what has turned out to be quite a lucrative field. Um, 
moving away from that, C.A. Uh, C.A. Walker, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work, what motivated you to write, how did you get into writing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some uncanny uh, similarities between Quince and I. I mean, you know, I also uh, never really fancied myself a writer until I was in college. But, um, you know, growing up, I was something of an intellectual and a child prodigy. <laughs> um, I mean, think about this. I learned to play checkers when I was seven. I learned to wow. play chess when I was nine. Oh, Can wow. you imagine? That's, that's remarkable. I was playing chess at age nine. This, there's grandmasters out there playing chess. I'm playing it at age nine. So Were you I kind playing of against grandmasters? Oh, oh, of course not. I was a nine-year-old. <laughs> okay, I thought you used that as like a thing. I thought that No, I'm just saying, think about the people who play this game, and I'm playing it when I'm nine. I'm meant to be something special, you know? Like I, I kind of always knew that I was richer and smarter than the other kids, you know? Right, and I understand. So, uh, Mr. You know, Walker, I, knew, I just... I mean, I'm a big fan. I love both of your work, all, both of you. Uh, awesome books, incredible series, incredible writing. But I was curious. I want to ask you this before. And we've discussed kind of stuff like this before, but I want to talk about it on the show. Have you considered writing a book about checkers? Well, you know, in my books, the wizards play all kinds of wizardly games. Um, so I don't think it would really be uh, appropriate for me to well, talk about maybe a different uh, maybe a different series. Maybe you can make a series about checkers. Well, I'm about 37 books into this series, and I'm really trying to finish it out. I think I got maybe 40 or 50 more in me, and then I'll then I'll finish it out and move on to something like that, maybe. But um, you know, because I was so precocious, I was always into like numbers. I never really read books, you know. I just read numbers so I could get smarter at it. Right, and I I be I was going to become a statistician, one of those guys who goes to Wall Street and makes a lot of money, but then uh, you know while I was in college, I read my first book of words. It's called Harry Potter. Oh, that's your first book of not numbers. That was the yeah. first book you ever read. That was the first book I ever read, and it's also the most recent book I've read. Again, I was just you know spellbound by these magical characters. Um, so, you know, I actually, I got my start in writing, writing fan fiction. Uh, and due to ongoing litigation, I actually am not at liberty right. to tell you what fan fiction that, what series of magical books that was based on. But I will say that it inspired my series that I've been writing ever since, um, The Properly Preposterous Misadventures of Timothy Thompson Worthingtonshire. Oh, wow, that sounds really good. I like that. Yeah, I've written uh, 37 books in about three years, uh, and they just keep on coming, you know? Ever since I started reading, the inspiration just never stopped. Oh, well, I, now, what I found was interesting, in your fourth book in the series, it was all pictures. You're like, well, I'm going to take this this whole this whole thing and turn on its head. I'm going to make it a picture book. And you said, you know, these teens, you know, they're working too hard in school, having to read too much. I'll make it a little bit easier for them, and it's completely illustrated, and I thought that was great. Yeah, as, as I have so much sympathy for them because I never read a single book until after I was a teenager. So I see them working so hard and it just seems like life used to be much harder or it's harder now than it ever was before in history. You know, like these kids are really getting right. These kids have to deal with uh, school shootings once a year, like clockwork. They have to deal with pregnancies. Um, there's temptation from all the beer that they see in the media. Um, really a lot of things going on for teens. And I really think that's why it's important that like older people like us tell them how to handle it. Yeah. I yeah mean, there's one thing I want to clarify. I want to clarify though, that even though I write young adult books, they're very popular with adults. Um, well, they have a uh, lot of that's, mature that's themes. Something, yeah. 
No doubt, no doubt. I would say the majority of my books are bought from adults, um, like older, mousy-looking women, um, men with goatees that are just still holding on to that goatee look, maybe goatee and glasses. Those are like probably, I would say, my core group of fans is people that look like that. And see, it's um, very problematic when adults look down on these adults reading YA. Right. It's like my books have mature themes. I mean, somebody might die in one of my books, you know? Yeah. I talk about the subject of good guys and bad guys. Like how much more mature can you get than that? Well, and being proud of yourself, um, no matter what anyone says about like your, you know, jacket or hairstyle. Really I mean, mature. It's, it is very like pop. That. These these books are very popular amongst adults, especially you know, you know East Coast, um, you know, academia, um, people that have Obamacare tattoos. These are like people who are in their late thirties. Um, people will like criticize them. They'll come to me. They'll criticize my work and just say it's like really kind of uh, the masturbatory work of like older people. Who are trying to first of all, in bad faith, capitalize on high schools mandated to get certain books for kids to read, um, pandering to them in a condescending way, um, giving all of the protagonists a happy ending because that's what you want them to feel. Um, you know, not having any ever good things happen to problematic people in your books because that's not how the world works. People will criticize YA and say that it is just a complete. Um, intellectually dishonest wasteland of just <laughs> feel good bullshit. And when people tell me that, I just laugh and I just go to my big house and I turn off the internet browser. And, you know, now that I have enough fans, if somebody wants to criticize me, I can just call them out on the internet. You know, I can just say, this is, hey, you're being misogynistic, you're, you're being ageist. And, uh, you know, people take care of it you know, for me. No, I have me. half a mind. When those critics say that stuff, I have half a mind to write a young a YA book called The Intellectually Dishonest Wasteland. And it's all about the world of uh, adults who look down on everybody, you know? Well, the that's, people that's that are mostly idea. criticizing these books and making these claims, more often than not, there's some 18-year-old. And it's like, well, what do you know? You're just a freshman in college. Yeah. That, you there was that you don't one have any student. experience. Oh, so you you're starting to read? You just read Kafka last year, and now you're starting on, um, you know, Faulkner or even James Joyce. Oh, so you read books that you don't understand for sure. Here's the thing, though: James Joyce is YA. The portrait of an artist as a young man—that's YA. The thing that that is my book so is sad that to equally me, as complex, if not more complex than that. The thing my book is, is longer than that too. The thing is that it's just like really sad to me. Is that, you know, you'll have these people, these teenagers that'll come and criticize your work. And, you know, there was the big thing in the news where they tried to get my book removed um, from a reading list in a university. And, you know, I, I don't think these teenagers know just how internalized their, like, ageism and misogyny is. When they say that my book, you know, I the one that they had on the list, oh my god, I, you know, it was, um, sorry if I sound like a bitch, but... And the woman said that this is not, you know, valid um, art. It doesn't really teach anything other than just kind of like really vapid baseline um, feel good mottos. It's like a, it's like a if a whole like she said in her in her article condemning me that uh, my book is basically just a Dove chocolate wrapper 
feel good thing stretched out into 300 pages, which is not true. And she wanted to replace my book. And this is what really made me mad with with James Baldwin. Go tell it on the mountain. One of these Baldwin brothers replaced my book written by a woman about teen girls who need to be legitimized and replace it with James Baldwin, a white guy Baldwin brother, writing a book that's probably about skiing or something. Go tell it on the mountain. It's probably about a ski lodge, right? And it's just internally misogynist. She just doesn't even realize it. She doesn't know what she's saying because she's so young and just hasn't had the life experiences that I have yet. So, you know, it's really it's really bad to see, and I don't like it. But, you know, you got to exhale the negativity and kind of try to Try to do what you can for the culture, and we know we have legions of fans will defend us. So it's See, really I important. Agree, I couldn't agree more. Um, even though I myself am a uh, white straight male of privilege from a background of immense wealth, um, you know I understand that, and I write books about a young wizard who he's not posh. He's actually quite quite poor. You know, I'm writing about downtrodden people to kind of, you know, get an important message out there. And I think it's, you know, society needs to understand that what right. we're doing is actually more important than what a lot of these writers are doing. Who, uh, who could write a poor person better than somebody who's been on the other side and lived in wealth? When perhaps the most poor thing you could possibly imagine is that he has his own room, but the ceiling's low. <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, I kind of skipped this. I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit, get your stories um, about me. Uh, my name is Betsy Lavender. I am a writer. I've been writing YA fiction for over 20 years. Um, just kind of, you know, a little bit about my background. Um, I've always been ch a champion of, of feminism, I feel like. I went to Morehouse University as a young girl. <laughs> and Morehouse is typically a men's only college for African-American <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> and I really set my mind to it that, no, this is not okay. This is not okay. A men's only college? Like, nowadays? Like, are you kidding me? So I fought in court. Everyone was against me. Nobody wanted me to do it. But I fought in court, and I won. And I was the first <laughs> white woman to be admitted to Morehouse, a men's only college for African-American men. And I did it for people of color and women everywhere. So I want to bring any other has there been any other women that have been admitted or no, they don't even try. Um, there's a legal precedent that they could if they wanted to, but there hasn't been people are scared because of how much I went through in breaking down racial and gender barriers. Yeah, they're scared because of society made them feel that way. Life at Morehouse, it was rough. People were mad at me all the time. They called me mayo, ass. They said things like that. Um, they said, you know, they got mad when, you know, I took a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance because they just said, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing this for attention. <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody goes through trouble. You know, Rosa Parks, when she sat on that bus, she was she knew what was going to happen. And I kind of feel like a kinship with her in those four years I spent at Morehouse. Um, but I, I, I broke into writing YA fiction. I've been writing ever since. Um, I am... Well, I've just finished my uh, sixth book. I've written six now. Oh, wow. How the time flies. Mm, too and, true. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's just a, a little bit about me. Um, 
Now, I know we all kind of have a little bit of excerpts and stuff we want to read here. Um, now, l- l- correct me, gentlemen. You both, you've written 37 books, correct? Uh, uh, correct, CA? yeah. I'm doing about one every month now. I'm kind of picking up. Each right, one's about kn- 600 pages, too. Yo, you're really rifling through them. I mean, I just have a, a font of inspiration that just won't stop, you know, ever since I started. Well, why don't you why don't you go ahead and would you guys like to read some excerpts of your books, perhaps? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, yeah. All right, CA, why don't you take the lead? Um, what book are you going to be reading from? Sure. So I'll just read from the the original book in the series. This one is just like the self-titled sort of uh, the properly preposterous misadventures of Timothy Thompson Worthingtonshire. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are familiar with this character now. You know, he lives in the magical town of Terre Haute, Indiana. It's kind of a random place I chose and I'm stuck with it forever. You know, I kind of chose it without thinking about it. And now I have to write about it every single time. Right. So it's just kind of something, you know, I can't change, I guess. But Right. And it's like, you know, you have to keep mentioning it because people will be like... Yeah, they expect it. They start to expect it, and then it's like, well, now I can't ditch right. this shit. So and here like it is, maybe man. you only chose it because it has a federal prison there, and that's funny to you. Yeah, but, and then you're stuck for like. I mean, I might do hundreds of these books, and I'm just kind of stuck with it. But and people tell um, you that you're pronouncing it wrong, like you don't. Yeah, know. Like, like every yeah. single week, and it's like, come on, man. Yeah. But um, you know, so this book is about Timothy Thompson Worthingtonshire. Um. His parents are dead, so he goes to live with his mean uncle, who's named uh, Mean Uncle Malthusius Twitley. He owns the local Wendy's on Fezzlewick Lane. Um, and he doesn't really much like young Timothy, so he makes him sleep in a suitcase out back, you know? And it kind of sucks. But then he finds out he's a magical wizard, and then that's when things start to change for him. So this right here is uh, chapter one, actually. It's called The Boy Who Lived in a Suitcase. <laughs> Beyond the misty mountains of Wizardly Way, past the fabled forest of Frothlshire, and beyond the rolling waters of Lake Michigan, there lies the whimsical town of Terre Haute, Indiana, where majestic griffins flap their fearsome white wings, and slumbering dragons blow big cartoon snot bubbles in their sleep as they rest contented on their piles of ill-gotten boolean and grinch coins." In this faraway fabled place, there is a boy. He lives on Fezzlewick Lane, behind the Wendy's Burger Restaurant. His mean uncle, who is named Mean Uncle Malthusius Twitley, made him live inside a suitcase behind the Wendy's because his parents had died and nobody else wanted him. But then one day it turned out, the boy was not just a piece of shit who lived in a suitcase. He was actually a magical prince. Oh, and by the way, the boy's name was Timothy Thompson Worthingtonshire. I forgot to write that earlier. Anyway, he turned out to be a prince, and that meant he got free room and board at the greatest magic school in Terre Haute, the bedazzling boarding house of Minotaur Manor. There, there he meets his best friend, a red-headed loser boy named Geezer Hamswallow, and his other friend, who's a girl, Serena Smoke Show. Thimbleworth. As members of Posh House, they get as members of Posh House, they get into all kinds of misadventures, competing in wizardly sports, eating frogs, playing with wands, and all types of shit. Just wait until (laughs) chapter two when they will get into some adventures. 
<laughs> and that's actually the whole first chapter right there. So. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a classic I like, now. It was, it was uh, a very brave writing decision to be uh, to just talk about your book in your book of like, hey, stay tuned and you'll read this in the book. You know, it's funny. I did that for about the first eight or nine books I wrote. And then I started hearing feedback from people like that most books don't do that. And I didn't know because I've only read Harry Potter and it's not that good. Let me, let so me, I didn't really know. Let me I'm ask kind you of this. Learning. What are you trying to say with that character? What is your message to teenagers? That even well, I if think you if feel a like a piece of shit, you're still yeah, a some prince? Some teenagers feel like shit and they get treated like shit by these adults who these adults who look down on YA literature, these adults who just they don't have any majesty and fun in their lives. And they're making you fucking they might I mean, you might not literally be sleeping in a suitcase, but that is like the metaphor for, you know, being a teen. Like you might not be able Sometimes to drive the car just when you're teenagers you are in a metaphorical suitcase, yeah. Exactly, of your feelings, the prison of those feelings that those parents and the adults well, and put on you. your puberty and all the things happening around you, and you're, you're, oh, yes. you're not a boy, but you're not yet a man. Um, I feel like there's a lot of layers of depth that you give that really make this, like, just a, a well-rounded piece of art. Yeah, so I think one, uh, you know, I've had many controversies, as we all have, because people are in this society are predisposed to be unfair toward us in our art. Um but I've had a number of controversies about appropriation and people saying that I use a lot of like British terminology, even though I'm American. And I'm like, my book takes place in Indiana. That's as American as it gets. I don't know what these people are talking about. I think they just want to read kind of like other wizardly series into mine and think it's like more British than it is or something. So I've kind of had a lot of struggles with that online, a lot of toxic people in my mentions and everything. But I've, you know, I, I just try to keep positive with it. Yeah, you have to exhale the negativity. It's going to be there because people are a, a lot of times jealous that you're able to like reach so many people to give them such good positive mem uh, like messages. And the people that don't read these books don't get that positive messaging because they're reading depressing books like Ulysses or the Satanic Verses, and they're getting all depressed and they're just seeing everything as being bad because that's what an adult is. It's just bad. I got to go to work. I got to pay bills. Being a kid is all about, uh, I want to, I want to kiss this hot guy and I want to ride a car and I want some money and I want to eat hot wings whenever I want. And adults, the adult mentality is inherently jealous of the freedom and the possibilities of youth. And I really think that's all you see whenever it's people being haters. That's what the oh, kids yeah. call it. And least. that's why I address big issues like good guys and bad guys, because you'll realize adults are bad guys and kids are good guys. Well, so why yeah. don't you act more like a kid who are the good guys if you want to be good? So, you know, uh, you know, to keep moving forward here, let me read you just one more excerpt. Um, this is from chapter 47. It's called The Bewildering out of Bog. The same, out of the same book? Oh, the same book. Yeah, this is about like page 640 of the first book. Uh, I've read the um, book seven times. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it goes, it's a page turner. I'll tell How you How many that. times have you read it? Um, I just write them once and I start, I keep moving. I mean, I'm writing so many, I don't oh, have time to read I mean, them. I can't be the only one who reads my own books. I feel like I'm reading them when I'm writing them, you know? I read my own books. I, 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 I Really, that's kind of all I read that's really the only things i really ever See, read. here's the thing i don't plan anything out so it's it's all new to me as it's coming out of my fingers on the <laughs> keyboard there and like I, I feel like i'm reading rather than writing a lot of times i'll think about when i'm writing a book like well what do i want to read right now and then i write that what it's do like, i yeah, want to people criticize right me now. saying i've never read a book besides harry potter i'm like if i wanted to read a book i would just write it and so i do 
So I think the haters are completely, you know, they're just selfish and they're mad, I guess. I'm excited for this next excerpt. Yes, this excerpt is chapter 47. It's called The Bewildering Bog of Curmudgeonly Cromswell Blatherington. (sighs) Timothy Thompson Worthingtonshire removed his foot from the muck of the bewildering bog. Oh, pish, he said. These are the foulest waters in Terre Haute Kingdom. That stench could only mean that curmudgeonly Cromswell Blatherington's mud dragon is afoot. Not so fast, Timothy Thompson, said a voice from the distance across the misty, mucky pond. He moved his face closer into a place where there wasn't as much mist. It was Minotaur (laughs) Manor Secondary School (laughs) Chancellor Flimbwuzzle Timp, the head chancellor in charge of Chav House. He had a face like an owl, but if it was a person... Well, well, Timothy, I hear one of me chavs from Chav House nicked your mobile. I guess you won't be calling your little friends for help anytime soon. Oh, what a load of codswallop. That's proper fucked, mate, Timothy yelled back across the (laughs) pond. Are you taking the piss, mate? Then, with his wand hand, he grabbed his wand from his utility belt and put it in the air. A bunch of stars and gold shit flew out as he encanted his incantation. Tesco, Sainsbury's, Marks and Spencer. <laughs> and with that, ruddy Chancellor Flimdwuzzle Timp fell to the ground in a proper lump. But from behind him then came a menacing noise. It was the menacing mud dragon of Cromswell Blatherington who had come to retrieve the magical medallion that Timothy Thompson Worthingtonshire and Geezer Hamswallow had absconded with after the Wizards' ball at the O2 Arena. (sighs) And that's kind of the cliffhanger right there where the mud dragon shows up. Mm, I I know what happens next. Well, people are going to have to pay if they haven't bought the book. Well, don't spoil it for the reader. Yeah, don't spoil it, please. All 37 books is quite a a way to hook them in. Yeah, so um, that's sort of a little taste of my world, but I'd like to hear uh, what you guys have been up to yourselves. Uh, Quince, I I understand you have some readings for us. You want to tell us a little bit about the book and then go ahead and get into it? Yes, so I have a couple of excerpts. I I mentioned the premise of it, but Days of Hemlock Part 1 in the Demon Cycle... Um, I told you like the kind of the kind of a, the synopsis and everything, what's going on with it. But I'm going to read a first excerpt from Chapter Eight, which is um, titled "The Winds of the Witches." And um, I guess I'll just go right into it. Oh, please do. Thank you. <clears throat> the wind began to pick up as they approached the back gates. Silas could see the gargoyles above, watching with their stone gazes. He didn't feel afraid. He felt comfort. These ancient symbols of monsters he knew within him. The sort of kinship. The large iron gates were chained together and sealed with a padlock that looked as old as the manor itself. Kramer let out a loud sigh. Crap! It's locked. Looks like we're going to have to do some Scooby-Doo maneuvers here, chums. After giving the gate another rattle. Don't worry. I have an idea. Sable said with a cunning grin, the kind of grin a demon would make, a demonic smile. Silas felt like a flame was lit within him. Maybe she has it in her too, he thought. Sable moved a stone (laughs) and the foundation of the wall attached to the gates and removed a large rusty key. I used to sneak in this way with my sisters all the time as kids, she said. Wow, and I was about to climb this like a felon too, Kramer laughed. 
with a single earring shimmering in the moonlight. Come on, let's have some fun, said Sable as she walked past Silas, leading the way, her school uniform skirt swaying in the moonlight. Silas could feel the flame growing inside him. He knew it was the demon. (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. So can I tell you something I really appreciate about your work? Mm, please do. I I like that it, within this complex and mythical world of the demon cycle, Scooby-Doo exists in that universe. <laughs> and the characters know what Scooby-Doo is and reference it. Because like, I feel like there's a lot of adults out there who would say that Scooby-Doo is formulaic horse shit. And shouldn't really be mentioned in a serious book. Well, it's kind of like kind of self. I thought it was kind of self-aware. I, I of- agree with you completely. It's very self-aware, and it's like I like when these other cartoon characters who have a lot of stories to tell appear in your stories. It's really fantastic. Well, a lot of my uh, inspiration came from Scooby Doo. <laughs> and I, to be honest, can I tell you, like one of the most underrated parts of Scooby Doo was not Scooby himself, but Scrappy Doo, his cousin. <laughs> you watch any episode with Scrappy Doo, and it's completely different. It's completely you different know, from all the other episodes. He I, is completely untrustworthy. He's short. <laughs> he is kind of a, a demon himself. You know, so, like the demon, fan the fiction, demons you know. in the story, the demon in the story was actually directly inspired <laughs> by Scrappy Doo. I, I know you got in a good amount of trouble online for you know when I say trouble is the critics of your depictions of the demons because the demon seems to come at uh odd moments and oh yes inopportune times just completely inconvenient in chapter 22 where the demon makes him um that i think it's like five pages worth where he's just the demon is making him think about how sable puts her bra on and talking about how his favorite thing about her (laughs) is that she's 16 years old i know that there were a lot of those words that were taken out of context and i think most authors would be afraid to mention um just the sexualization of a 16 year old girl but if we look at how teenagers operate that's what they're thinking that's honest they're constantly that's what they're doing. if you're a teenager that's all you think about that's all you want to do you're 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 taking four showers a day so that you can you can masturbate you're um you know you're thinking about this stuff you try to get good at drawing so you can you can draw boobs how you like them and give up Uh, That's the kind of stuff that teenagers do. And it's important to be honest. And when people said, you know, the P word about you and said that you were creepy and that you wrote a character, Mm. that you wrote a character to exist just because you were so in love with her. Here's also the thing, though, is the demon, you know, it's a demon. And also that demon is simply taking Silas and making him turn around and face the truth, facing this is what you want. This is what you want to see. You want to think about bras. You want to think about underwear. You want to think about girls. You want to think about kissing girls. You want to think about stealing her hair. You want to think about watching her clip her fingernails. You want to think about panty raids. This is what teenage boys you wanna, do you, constantly. You want to take a large ladder up to her third-story bedroom. You want to prop it up so that you can look while she's having a slumber party where she's hitting her friends with pillows and their bras. And then because of your erection, it pushes you away from the wall and you fall 60 feet. Exactly. Yeah, I think the, the Panty Raid chapter of your book that happens in the Demon's Castle... It's very riveting stuff. Well, the demon's cat. Very... Well, that's a little bit. Um, it's kind well, of then the, the, the panties, uh, and it gets a little bit weird. So people have to read it to understand that. But I have another excerpt. 
that yeah, uh, go ahead. Kinda, oh, yeah. kind of addresses the demon a little bit. And it directly involves Silas and Sable and their relationship together. And Ooh, maybe should it be I'm maybe a grown be, woman sitting on the know, edge of my seat. Maybe should it be former relationship. relationship. Yeah. So let me just go right into it again. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know who I am. I don't know who my parents are. Everything that's happened since that night has changed. I thought maybe, just maybe, I could trust someone. I thought maybe I could trust you. Especially when you kissed me. But I guess you didn't mean it. All you wanted from me was my dad's egg. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true, said Sable, touching her hand to Silas's face. I admit I wanted your dad's egg, but only because I know what's happening to you. I've known for a long time. That egg has the demon's words on it. (laughs) If we can figure out its name, we can finally find a way to control it. Why should I believe any of this crap? Why should I believe anything you say? You tricked me like a slut. Silas raged, his eyes turning red. Sable calmly folded her hands into her lap and looked up into his eyes. Because I love you. (laughs) I think it's incredible that you're well into your 30s, but you can conjure up these teenage passions so well. I mean, this is is literature. Yeah? (laughs) You've thought about it a lot. Well, that's interesting. That's good. I can tell you're a good writer because you're able to channel that. I feel like I'm, I'm reading about the feelings of a person who truly loves the 16-year-old girl. I was going to say, like, so, you know, a teenager is still in their teens. They haven't completed those teens yet. For an adult, I've lived through a whole teenager's cycle, so I actually know more about being a teen than any teen. Oh, that's true. I did the maximum amount of time as a teen as possible, so I've got so much more to say about that experience than they do. Well, um, those were amazing. Um, uh, Thank you, gentlemen, for bringing those up. They were amazing. Both of them. Um, I have, uh, you know, a few um, kind of excerpts here. I'll see what you uh, the guys... The best for last. Here you go. Want to go... What? Oh, you guys are making me blush. Stop, boys. Okay, I'll stop. All right. So um, I'll just kind of go through a brief um, chronology. Um, I wrote this one while I was actually at Morehouse. Um, this one's called Ramona and the Fall of Summer. Um, so I got a couple here. Let me see which ones I want to do. All right, um, this is the plot of it. Everything seemed perfect for Persephone. Junior year ends, she has tons of friends, and her boyfriend, Mac, is a total beefcake stud sweetie pie with the (laughs) face of an elf and the body of a gay guy. But everything turns upside down when Mac gets bit by a dog and dies. (laughs) So I'm going to read an excerpt from that one right here. Don't go, Mac. I'm not ready, Ramona said, fighting back the tears. It's over, babe, Mac said, smiling a toothy grin full of blood. That dog got me good. Don't say that, Ramona said. There's still time. The ambulance is coming. Ramona, Ramona, just listen. It's just you and me right now, okay? I love you. I love you so much. That that dog. 
He can put me six feet under like a dog, but he can't bury our love. <laughs> Ramona cradled Max's head in her lap next to her boobs as blood mixed <laughs> with sweat on Max's abs. She wiped it away with her tongue. But I need you, Mac, Ramona whimpered. No, babe, Max said. You don't need me. Girls run the world. <laughs> Years later, I am at his grave. I am placing fresh flowers on his tombstone. <laughs> I I am wearing a businesswoman outfit because I am a businesswoman. I let myself cry a single tear as I think of him. Scruffy-haired, beautiful, and so, so right. He was right. Girls run the world. And I have Max, Mac Goodstone to thank for teaching me that. That women run the world. Even if I didn't learn till the very end. It took a man to teach me that. <laughs> and that's the end of the book actually the expert was the end so i probably should have wrote a uh, different i probably i just like that part so much that was but, powerful i mean yeah that, that was, one came oh, out man. you know 17 years ago so if you haven't i think read that it, could be the book you could make that just a one-page book and it'd be right. fantastic um let's see what else i have here um um let's see i have I deserve to be happy and to have nothing bad ever happen to me. Jennifer has had a tough year. Her father got a new job and she had to move to a small town where she knows nobody. Her boyfriend cheated on her with her twin sister. Can you imagine? And her mother died after getting bit by that dog. <laughs> she decides that she has had enough and decides to ignore all the bad things in her life. She's su surprised to learn that ignoring everything bad ever can have actual consequences. Um, there's a book, uh, The Trembling of Dusty St. Silas. Dusty is the quintessential American girl. She is shy. She likes reading books, and she has two parents that are alive and have never been bitten <laughs> by dogs. But her world turns upside down when she falls in love with a boy from a slightly poorer family. Actually, I don't want to do that one. Uh, pass the salt. Hold the drama. What happens... When a video of the reigning prom queen getting finger blasted at a frat party goes viral <laughs> and is posted on America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, I'm, I'm 49, so that's what I think going viral means if you, it gets on America's Funniest uh, Home thanks Videos. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, well, surprise answer. Yeah. Surprise answer. She fights back. And although she is victorious in the courtroom, it's her personal life that's trouble. When the new boy she likes get bit, gets bit by a dog and dies. <laughs> Hold off on that one. Um, then I wrote The Queen's Guide to Surviving a School Shooting. Flower is a wild child and a free spirit. She doesn't let anyone hold her down because she's a queen bitch. At least that's what she tells herself. And... She makes up her mind when her school gets attacked by Anonymous that she's done <laughs> sitting around. It's time to take action. So that one just came out, I'd probably say about six months ago. You can find That's that one timely. on uh, Anonymous. by Penguin. That's very timely. Oh, I, I'll, I, I, I'll read this excerpt here of this book. Um, this one's called Sorry If I Sound Like a Bitch, but <laughs> Beth has, this is the synopsis of it. Beth has had it 
with boyfriends, with her parents, and with her caddy so-called friends, she decides to create an online alter ego named Kitty Cat, an unfiltered psycho who spills all the tea on all the secrets at every woman high school. However, Beth gets carried away, and her receipts begin to have deadly consequences at school when her new boyfriend, Bongo, gets bit by a dog and dies at school. <laughs> that sucks for Bongo. I can already f- imagine. And this is an excerpt. This is an excerpt from uh, that book. Sorry to sound like a bit if I sound like a bitch, but. Bedhead? Check. Sweatpants? Check. Ready for school? Meh. Good enough. My name is Beth, and the main thing you need to know about me is that I am tired. So, so tired. The other thing that you need to know about me is that my so-called boyfriend, Bubby Brown, has just cheated on me with my arch enemy, Cassidy Jones. Whatever. It's hard to have a big heart with a ton of love to give when you are a shy girl who loves to read books. Kind of makes me feel like boys look at me like I have a big target on my back. Love is about letting go, my mom said. Thanks, mom. Real helpful. I'm sick and tired, and I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You know what? There comes a time when you feel so low that you just want to crawl in a ball and die. Well, guess what? Now is not that time. I'm going to crawl in a ball, and I'm going to feel stronger. I'm going to love myself twice as hard. But I will admit, sometimes I just want to find a dog, get him to bite me, and die. (laughs) You know, I feel like I put a lot of myself into my books and what I write. I don't know about you guys. But really, you know, I, I put a lot of my own experiences into what I write. And I feel like, you know, all you have to do to really be a good YA author is just kind of remember. You just remember some stuff that happened and then you write it and then you, you know, lie what, about how you well, felt Which of those experiences are you better. drawing from your own life? Like, uh, do you have any pets or anything or? I had a dog. But you don't, you I had don't a dog. anymore? I, I had a dog. He, well, when I was a teenager, he had to be put down. Well, what happened? Did. That sounds that's that's um, horrific. Why was that? Was he old? I, I, I you know I've kind of mentioned this in interviews, but I had a quintessential life changing experience. Uh, well, a couple of them in my teenage years. Um, so the very first boyfriend I ever got, uh, Hank. Well, he died when I was fifteen <laughs> after my dog bit him. It was some bacterial thing. Oh, wow. It sucks, dude. Um, doctors were really confused. Out of left, I'm sorry. It's a little bit out of left field. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't well, prepared. Uh, it, it was, it was really tough at the time. maybe some kind of a trigger warning on that. Uh... Oh, well, you know, I, I, I do apologize for, you know, telling you that. But, uh, yeah, he was 15. Hank died after my dog bit him. It was a bacterial thing. Somehow infected him. Took him, like, five minutes and he died. Just instant, perfectly healthy to just dead as a doornail. And uh, I never really got over it. My second boyfriend, when I was 16, uh, he came to the house. It was really hard for me to, like, get over what happened to Hank and to, like, open up my heart again. I was such a shy girl. <laughs> I loved reading books. Um, you know, it was hard. I always had these big bangs that covered my whole face. <laughs> and when I would start dating boys, it would be right after I I would I – would, they'd say, you're so pretty, don't hide behind those bangs. And then I would, I would, I would put my bangs up. And then when they would die, like uh, Ryan, Wait, how would you put your ba- so your bangs were all Hank. the way to the bottom of your face, right? How would you put them up? Yeah, exactly. 
to the side. Oh, you I thought you meant up like you would grab them and just beep, you're slowly revealing your face. Oh no. Uh, but then but then Ryan died, my bangs went back down, and then uh he came over to my house. It was a first it was a big deal. It was the first time any boys came over to my house since Hank. And uh my dog bit him and he died. And then um the doctor started putting it together and then um then there was Jack who came to see what happened to Ryan and my dog just kind of bit him. Did he die or was he okay? Then, uh, he died. Oh, okay. He died. I was and hoping my, he was okay. Uh, Cause I'm a positive cousin person, came but... over. It wasn't, I didn't like my cousin, but he, he wanted to, he was trying to take care of the dog. He, uh, but the dog outsmarted him was and he, he bit okay? him and he went down. <laughs> and then, um, my prom date, uh, <laughs> it was, um, it was Brian and Brian. Um, you know, he put the corsage on me, and we we thought we we thought we had the dog in the basement, and he got out. I'm like, sorry. I'm me, sorry. Can you tell me the time frame. I'm on all sorry. This? How, how long of a time window did all this happen in? All of this happened between 15 and 17, and then uh, we thought we had him in the basement, and he pinned the corsage on me. And I turned to look at him, but I'm smiling, and I just his face goes white, and I look down, and there's Bluto. <laughs> he, he was a little, he's a little wiener dog. <laughs> <laughs> he got him right off the ankle, and he just went down, and I just knew. I don't know how I knew, but I just knew. <laughs> and the Paramex came, and Bluto got one of them, <laughs> and then. It was. Uh, it took a long time, and, and there's graduation, and there was this one guy I really like. Um, it was Hugo, and uh, Hugo said he was a foreign exchange student. He said he didn't care about what happened. I said he said he demanded, he demanded, he demanded to meet my family because uh, he wanted to do right, and asked my father permission to date me, and. And we thought we had Bluto. We we knew he'd get out of the basement, so we put him in the bathroom. And he gets out, and he got him. He got Hugo. He got my dad. It was a, he got all of them. What, he got all what of do you them. think he spared you? I don't know. I don't. I ask myself that every day. Did he, anyway, did he say the Humane Society did came. You? Did he look at you? Did he try to convey any expression to you? He just had those big wet eyes, almost like he was saying he was sorry. He just said, he just looked at me, and he went back to the bathroom and just sat there like that's where he was supposed <laughs> to be. Like he was proud of himself. Like I got him. You tried to say I wouldn't, and I got him. And the police came, and they had to the SWAT team outside. They just, they just blasted. They got him. a tank outside. Just forty-eight bullet holes in him. <laughs> just blasted him. They knew what was up. They knew what the score was. He just, he just got him. That's, That's so pretty, tragic. Um, I'm sorry. Let me get a tissue. It's a pretty, pretty incredible so here's story. What I think, like, how um, can people hear let, that story and then say that your books are sophomoric garbage? Like, your books are based on real experience, so they're automatically good. And anyone who criticizes your books is criticizing your life experience. Well, we don't know. Well, Walker, uh, we don't know if. Um, I mean, that story that Betsy just told us. I mean, Betsy is a story weaver. You well, know, it's hundred percent true. It's a real story. It could have been completely pulled from her books. If you think about that, 
Well, right at, no, I had enough of the dog and they shot the dog and all my parents were gone and all my family was gone. I've and met every, her parents. Her parents are alive. And that's when I decided to go to Morehouse <laughs> and break down alive. those barriers. I've met her parents. I, when I was a teenager, I had mono. Oh, you must have got that from kissing. I did, actually. You slide devil. And what was the lucky lady's name? Tiffany. I was really hoping. I'm, yeah, I'm Tiffany, really glad. Tiffany I thought you were going to say it was Sable, so I'm really <laughs> glad that you're just not writing about just that's some... a character. That's a character. Yeah, his books aren't right. as shallowly um, based on combine, his life. As I don't combine. I don't combine my real life and my stories. I leave now, it up to Tiffany, the um, reader to decide whether I live in a fantastical city on Featherwick Lane or if I made that up. You know, like just let them choose. Tiffany joined the army eventually. She was shot in the neck. In uh, Fort Knox by another veteran, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know oh. she got really big after high school, so I didn't really care that much. <laughs> but it was sad. Now, I thought that maybe since the three of us are here, I had an idea. Like, what if we? What if we all like? You know how uh, people collab on songs like this song featuring so and so featuring so and so. So like, what if we had like a Betsy and Lavender featuring C.A. Walker and Quince Drumheller. But oh, it's wow. a story. Oh, a YA supergroup. Yes, exactly. like the Highwaymen. Yes, I don't know what that is, but Two yes. Highwaymen and a highway woman. Right. It's not quite as catchy, but I get you what you're saying. Oh, we should write a book together. So let's, let's, let's see and let's think what's going right now. What, what's, what is something... That will capture the interests of teens. What do teens like? Fortnite. Fortnite, you say? The video game. Yes, that's what these kids are going crazy for. Okay, this I'm not quite sure what cartoon. Fortnite is. Well, but it's basically a cartoon battle royale. Okay, so what if we made a story about a teenager who is caught up in this world where they have to fight to the death in a battle royale? Oh, oh my to god! To be the last one alive. Now, would they be fighting? people or maybe her some name kind could of, be like swallow what if they were fighting are, are they fighting people or like some kind of like yes they're maybe fighting other dogs. people other maybe humans. they're fighting like dogs what about this well, why would they be dogs that makes sense to me because what if it one team was humans and one team was dogs it's like that eternal well, that's not, battle that's not between battle man and canine that's been going on for millennia i, I kind of almost feel like the dogs are my thing so maybe I don't want to do that in collaboration. Like, that was my experience, so maybe... It's not very good. Well, if it's like Counter-Strike instead of Fortnite, where it's like dogs win, you know? A dog couldn't set up a bomb. That's true. I I I mean, there's dogs that are trying to snip... No, there's dogs, so there's dogs... That's not real, that's fiction. Yeah, but this is is also fiction. That's YA fiction. We're trying to write YA fiction. Nothing is even realistic in YA fiction. You know that's this. That's why I'm saying. Well, the only thing that's unrealistic in YA fiction is just the feelings that everyone experiences in all of the time. <laughs> now, a dog can sniff out a bomb. They couldn't set up a bomb. So okay, the dogs well, let, would always have well, to be the What you're describing is too violent anyway. So how about one side sets up the bomb and one side diffuses the bomb and that's it. That's what I'm saying. I said the dogs would always have to be the counter terrorists. So that means the dogs are the good guys, and that humans are the okay, terrorists. Okay, I got you. Now. Oh, is that? I mean, dogs are maybe never that's a the moral good guys. thing. The humans are all adults, maybe that's a moral and the dogs thing. are all puppies. What, right, if, well, what if the terrorists are adults and the teens are the counter terrorists who take down the ooh, adults? Not bad. All right, so we're going to have a big battle royale where maybe the adults are making the teens fight each other. 
because the adults naked. are the bad guy. Naked. Well, I don't know. That's a little. That's a little. I don't think that's okay to describe. They're naked, and it's terrifying. But I don't think. I think it'd be really weird if we have a bunch of naked. No, teenagers. but it's like Lord of the book, Flies. Right? It's okay. But with girls too. That's like Lord of the yeah. Flies. They well, all naked Lord of in the that Flies book. is not a YA book. It is. It is just a A book. But there's teens in it. It's all about teens. So oh, it's that's YA. a good tagline we can do. Is if it's not YA, it's just a book. <laughs> Goddamn. All right. So tell us a little bit more. Let Let's think about the who the main character would be. So her name kind would be like Swallow. An, ev- Swallow. an every woman. An every girl. Spark. How about that? She has to be like that's good. stubborn, but in like a good. All of the characters, the main Rebellious. characters, yeah, they have to have but flaws, but like gold. cool, cool flaws. Like a cool flaw would be that they don't listen to anybody, but that's because they're always doing the right thing, or that you know they're they're always getting punished for helping people. Too I don't much. care about authority. I'm standing my ground. That's yeah. what it's all about. Being I don't. A team. I will do the right thing no matter what cost, and that's like portrayed as a flaw. Now, what are we? What stats are we talking for her? I'm sorry, stats. Like, okay, so you guys are the. I'm not the only one who write. Or, am I the only one who writes stats for his characters? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, I'm not sure what you're. I did feel like that it was weird in your in your Hemlock series where you describe Sable as 36, 24, 36. <laughs> yeah, were those her stats? I'm just trying to give an image, uh, a, a nice image <laughs> of a 16 year old schoolgirl who's the daughter of the owner of the town. Okay, so is that what you mean by stats? Or are we talking like HP? It could be any. Yeah, <laughs> HP, their stamina. Well, why don't you just describe to us what you think this this woman swallow? So swallow, I'm thinking she's probably at like a like a 28 HP kind of middle ground, not too much, but not too little. She's kind of uh, you know her AC. I'm thinking is maybe like a 15, which is not bad. Not bad. You know, she's kind of just like in the middle, but like her her cohorts are like extremes on the other sides. You know what I'm saying? So she's a oh yeah, so she's a 28, 15, 28 is what you're saying. Oh, well, you're you're just messing with me now. So, well, you're breathing pretty hard. So uh, I mean, I just keep imagining like what she looks like. Like maybe she's what color is her hair. I'm thinking redhead, or she's a, like a golden blonde. Okay. Straight bangs. Okay, straight. Do the bangs, bangs cover her entire and face? Maybe, and maybe every now and then she does the space buns. Like what the are the space, space buns? buns? It's like, like the, the double buns. The space. The buns. Princess Leia thing. Kind of. It's not braided though. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. All right, and but it's hot. Does she, does she fight? Yes, she has. She dual wields bows. Ooh. Like she, she can pulled shoot a bow <laughs> one-handed with the arrow and everything. She dual wields those. That's that's impressive. So she would be like a female empowerment, like a badass. Yeah. Yes. Even though she's like built like a Barbie doll in like unrealistic ways, she's still a female role model because she's killing men. Well, here's the thing: is back at school before they had to go through all this, she was the head cheerleader, <laughs> but. She also ran her D and D club at school, and was also had the highest grades in the sciences. So she's also a nerd. You know oh, what I'm she's, so she's in STEM. Well, that she's could be a good STEM, role. but she's also in you know athletics. Yeah, like some people right. tried to say, so, like 
with a character like this, it would be sexist for her to have a 10-inch waist. But actually, when she's getting all these arrows fired at her by the enemy, it's actually easier to dodge the arrows, and that's the reason why. It's a she dodges reason. them like yeah, the mask. Yeah, someone goes to stab her waist, and she dodges it because of her tiny little waist and her thick thighs. She can, you know, avoid death. What is she wearing to you, Quince? Like I said, they're naked. <laughs> all right, so where does she keep the arrows for her bow? Well, she has a quiver on her back, but... But she can't... She chooses to be naked, or... She's naked with the harness. Like, the quiver is on her back still. But, like, is everybody naked, even the men, or is it just her? Yes, the the men are naked. Is there a reason why they don't wear armor in this world, or...? They're not allowed to. Are they allowed to wear, like, a (laughs) t-shirt? The men can wear t-shirts, but nothing else. (laughs) How long are the... Can they wear, like, a triple XL? Who makes these rules? Who makes these rules? The adults. <laughs> the adult. Okay, so there's a conglomerate of adults that want a bunch of children to fight naked. <laughs> Why do they do yes, this? Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a dystopia, dude. So what, <laughs> ma'am? Um. Okay. Uh. So, is it a sex? I thing feel like you guys are coming or? at me like really hard right now. I feel like I'm just. I I feel like. If anyone's hard right now, it's you. <laughs> We're trying to make the work better, dude. We're asking questions just to improve it. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say anything that your critics aren't going to say when you write, you know, when we all, I guess, you know. Everyone is afraid to write the human condition. It's The it's human fine. condition I mean, is being a naked teenager and well, forced to I'm gonna, fight. I, with see where, yes! I see where Quince is coming from because that's what it feels like to be a teenager. You have those dreams where you come to class and you're only wearing your underwear. Then you wake up from the dream and exactly. you're naked in class. And your you're teacher's naked. looking you don't at even you and have saying, your well, underwear on. your teacher's looking at you and thinking, well, you're quite the woman now, aren't you? Or, you know, <laughs> you are quite... <laughs> you have quite the sizable hanger there, son. They're thinking those things, you know? And all of you out there who are teachers, don't deny it. All right. Those I want to hear from our teacher listeners. Actually, what is yeah, the most all of our teacher all of fantasy teachers who you've appeared, had in your classroom? All of you teachers who have appeared in your students in your pupils' dreams when they're naked, call in. Yeah, call in and and let us know. Um, oh, you're filling out quite nicely, or nice hanger, son. Um, look at the fish hook on that guy, or um, you know, if you've ever had those dreams about your students, call in. Or just call the police and just let them know what's <laughs> the, up. They can get in touch but like, with us. I, I feel like I feel like we have a lot of something here, and we should keep working on it. So all of you should stay tuned. Yeah, we got we got plenty in the pipeline. Uh, what would we call this? What what title would you be thinking? Well, I feel like I feel like that they're just fighting for survival, right? The thirst games. Well, it's like the survival matches. Yeah, but like yeah, the the staying alive tournament. Player unknowns battlegrounds. What about just naked naked Ready teens? player one. Yeah, let's call it naked teens. Yeah. I mean I'm I'm fine with that. Naked right, Teens well, Battle Dome, um, the final destination. <laughs> Not to be confused with the movie Final Destination. That's an asterisk. Is that all part of the title? Yeah, yeah. That's that's okay. an asterisk as part of the title written out. Well, um our Young adult podcast is getting a little long in the tooth, and as we age, we will strive to uh, do another one next week. Um, 
I'm going yes, to wrap yes, yes. this up on behalf of my guests here, C.A. Walker. Thank you so much for coming. I must admit, I feel a little younger than I did an hour ago. Thank you for having us. <laughs> and my other guest, Quince Drumheller, thank you so much for coming. Oh, yes. As you said, the pleasure is all yours. The pleasure you. is all mine. The pleasure and is I am renowned the readers and the listeners. The, well, the listeners in this mm-hmm. case. Too my true. name is Too Betsy true. Lavender, and this has been whatever I called my podcast at the beginning. <laughs> I forgot to write it down. Forever Young Adults. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>